Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Tuck it up, tuck it in here for a six-week uh, pause. And so Acts chapter number eight, we are, on, we are a little over a quarter of the way. That should make everybody feel great, a quarter of the way. Amen, through the book of Acts. Amen. Dan's got his eyes cocked over there, his eyebrow up. Say, are you serious? Amen. Uh, Acts chapter eight, verse number 13. We're going to cover a lot of verses, but this just gives us a, a springboard here tonight. The Bible says, then Simon himself believed also. When he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. Now, when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then laid they their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. Verse 18, And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money. He offered them money. Amen. Tonight, I want my, my, my title actually comes from a different verse in the chapter. Amen. It actually comes later down in the chapter. Uh, around verse number if you want, need an actual reference I can look at it here but it comes later in the chapter and I want to talk about this except some man dot 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 except some man except some man let's go to the Lord in prayer right now Father we need you Jesus in this place God we're honored to be here Lord in this house God amidst and among Lord Jesus your presence Pray, Lord, that you're able to help us in the next little while as we, Lord, center our lives around your word, or particularly the book of Acts again, Lord, that we've been trying to glean truths from, Lord, and have application, Lord, for our lives, Lord, and pattern our lives after. I pray, Lord, you bless your people tonight, God, in this place. Strengthen them, the weariness of bodies, Lord, the scattering, Lord, of minds, God, for the next, Lord, 45 minutes or so. God, bring every thought to captivity in the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen and amen. The church say amen. Amen. You may be seated tonight in Jesus, in Jesus' name. Except some man. Last week we talked about how uh, the happenings of Acts chapter number 8 really centered around a particular man in, in, uh, in general by the name of Philip. We talked about how there was great persecution that happened to the church and as a result of that there was great power and resulting from that great persecution there were some things that took place such as the scattering of many of the believers that were in Jerusalem to various places and so whenever we left off we looked at Philip going on his first adventure to a city to share the gospel the city being the city of Samaria and we looked at how this was such a great accomplishment how this was such a great accomplishment because uh, this did fulfill what the Bible spoke in Acts 1 and 8, how 
this gospel, this message, this witnessing was to go beyond Jerusalem, but to Judea and Samaria and even the uttermost parts of the world. And so them going on, or Philip in particular going on to Samaria, was helping uh, fulfill scripture that had been spoken of earlier because uh, the Jews normally did not have no dealings with the Samaritans. And likewise, uh, uh, to go through Samaria was just, you just didn't think even think about that. For sure did not even follow through and do it, but you didn't think about it. It was off limits. That location was off limits. Those people and a relationship with those people, with the Jews, were off limits until Jesus first went in John 4 and he went and spoke to the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman's. But now there, this is an extension of all that, that Philip, not Jesus, but Philip, is going and he's sharing the gospel with them. So that's a major accomplishment. The other reason why it was such a major accomplishment is because the city, the Bible says, had been bewitched by uh, Simon, the sorcerer of that city and town. He had influence there and he was well known there. And since the city had been bewitched or by the sorceries of Simon and through uh, deceptive influence of Simon, uh, it was a great accomplishment for the gospel to be shared there and for people to believe and for people to be baptized and listen to the word of the Lord and believe in the name of Jesus Christ and baptism in that name because that just goes to show that Christ doesn't know any limitations. He can make inroads with his word and with his name even in deceptive demonic activity type of uh, cities and come out, if you will, with the banner waving high in those scenarios. But then what we get to tonight is to put the icing on the cake concerning Simon the sorcerer here because evidently, according to the scriptures, Simon, this sorcerer who had sway with the people of Samaria and had so for many years, apparently believed also, the Bible says, and was baptized, the scripture says, also. And the Bible says after he believed and he baptized, he continued to kind of follow Philip around because Philip, it seems... Man, there were miracles and there were signs and wonders that were being done by the hand of Philip. And so this interest, this interest, Simon, and we can't really fault Simon. We can't fault him by being awestruck by these miracles or by these signs that were done by Philip. I would dare say any of us uh, would possess a certain level of admiration if there were just miracles taking place here and there and a sign here and there. We would probably be following around too, so we don't want to be too hard on Simon. But also, you got to remember what his past was. He was a sorcerer. Uh, he, he, had, he had plugged into a different type of spirit, amen, to supposedly do some things. And so this is some interest to him because these type of things in and of themselves intrigued him all the more because of his past. And the Bible tells us so. Here is Philip. He's down there doing a work for the Lord. People are believing. People are being baptized. And somehow or another, word gets all the way back, if we could call it that, to the mother church at Jerusalem. It gets all the way back to Jerusalem. Jerusalem receives word about what is happening and what is taking place. And so the Bible says, they sent Peter and John down to Samaria. Because up to this point, the people of Samaria has simply believed and they have been baptized. And the Bible plainly tells us, and you, if you leave your Bibles open to Acts 8, you can just kind of follow along with me here tonight. The Bible tells us that the Holy Ghost had not yet fallen upon any of them. They have believed, 
They have been baptized, but the Holy Ghost has not yet fallen upon any of them. And I want to just as a footnote tonight, just put out here, because that had not yet happened, does in no means contradict the scriptures of Acts that tell us after you repent and you've been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. All right? Because there are various uh, stories and ways that this all comes about in the Word of God. There, there are people in the Bible that got the Holy Ghost before they ever were baptized. Right? Cornelius, Cornelius in, in Acts 10, he received the Holy Ghost before he ever was baptized. But Peter still commanded him after he received the Holy Ghost to be baptized because the essentiality of baptism. Baptism is a non-negotiable. It's essential. Also in Acts 19, it confirmed to us in Acts 19 that a person does not automatically per se receive the Holy Ghost upon the moment of their belief. Because they met some disciples, said, have you received since you believed? And said, we've not even heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. So it tells us that there is no such a thing as just receiving upon the moment of belief. Amen. It's just not a matter alone of believing. Amen. But belief and baptism and faith and a lot of other things you can read through the scripture, amen, help aid us and build our faith and our expectancy for receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Can someone say amen? Amen. And so with that token, on the same token, and, and please watch how I say this tonight, the moment of baptism, you just believing that you received the Holy Ghost doesn't mean you received the Holy Ghost. You understand what I'm saying? Because there are others that would like to, uh, proponents of the faith that say, well, whenever you believe, you repent, and then you're baptized, you receive the Holy Ghost as though you just have faith as though you did receive it. The Bible tells me there is some type of external initial sign that indicates to me and anybody else around me that at that moment I have indeed received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, the baptism of the Spirit. Amen. We have witnessed people. We have witnessed people in my ministry that's received uh, the Holy Ghost speaking in other tongues as they came up out of the water. Absolutely. We've had some to receive it right before they went down into the water. Amen. We've witnessed that. Amen. But some never desire the Spirit of God because they've never been told to have faith at their baptism that that they would receive something with an indication, with some type of sign that would be taking place. And so some, some's never, whenever they went down in water of baptism, just they've been told just to believe that it happens rather than believe that, you know what, God's going to come inside of me and then he's going to let everybody know he's taken up residence inside of me through some vineyard way, which would be speaking in other tongues. And so some people getting baptized and not receiving the Holy Ghost is simply because they don't believe there's nothing else beyond being baptized. Amen. But Jesus even told Nicodemus, he says, just as you can hear the sound of the wind in John 3, he said, just as you can hear the sound of the wind, he said, so is everyone. Everybody say everyone. He said, so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Amen. And so here is the, 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 the gist of it all. You will receive the Holy Ghost after you have been baptized if you desire it, whether that's in the future or the very near future. You understand what I'm saying? 
whether that's in the future or the very near future, you will receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And so it's with these things in mind that Peter and John come to Samaria and they pray with the people. The Bible says they laid their hands on them so that they might receive the Holy Ghost. Because, listen, folks, consider what Peter and John have in their mind. Peter and John are not satisfied with these people's experience stopping at belief in baptism. There'd been no reason for the Jerusalem church to say, we're going to send Peter and John down no doubt, more experienced apostles than, than Philip was. More experienced. They've been around this, doing this longer than what Philip was. Amen. But they're going to come down and they're going to pray with the people. Why? What's the need? Because there's something, there is still yet the gift of the Holy Ghost for these people. There's something beyond just belief and baptism. And so they not being satisfied with their experience just stopping right there, they come down. They pray with them. The Bible says they lay their hands upon them, which is something that we oftentimes do when we pray for people. Amen. And so while it was wonderful, while they applauded, no doubt, their belief, amen, that is great. We don't need to overlook any of the steps, amen, to becoming a child of God. We need to rejoice over repentance. The angels in heaven rejoice over it, then we need to rejoice over it. We need to rejoice over repentance. We need to rejoice when someone goes down in the watery grave of baptism in Jesus' name. We need to rejoice over that. And we need to also rejoice whenever we, they receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Did you not, let's think of it like this. Did you not rejoice whenever you knew that someone had conceived And you have those moments of time through all those trimesters of, <laughs> it moved, Right? Huh? Heartbeat in all those different stages, and then you rejoiced at its birth too. Then we need to, at repentance, baptism, and the filling of the Holy Ghost. Man, we need to be rejoiced and excited about all along the way. And so Peter and John was, but they said, hey, this thing's been conceived. There's movement. There's things going on. It needs to be born. It needs to be born. Amen. They needed the Spirit of God living inside of them. So Peter and John were praying toward that end, toward that expectation. The Bible says in Romans 8 and verse number 9, he says, but ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. The interesting thing about the gift of the Holy Ghost is that whenever you begin to speak in tongues, as Acts has already told us up to this point, and you speak in tongues as that spirit that you have received gives the utterance or gives the permission or the allowance, then that gift of the Holy Ghost in many ways is the first and initial proof of your conversion. Amen. It is really a first and initial proof of your conversion. Furthermore, we see Peter and John coming down here to Samaria, and this is just a, a point of interest. Just want to point out and underscore here today. If you'll remember, God had ordained Peter whenever he took all of his disciples to Caesarea Philippi, and he was asking them, who do men say that I am? 
And they were given their responses. They had heard this. We can read it in Scripture. Some say you're Jeremiah. Others say Isaiah. Some say John the Baptist, one of the prophets. Amen. And then whenever he gets very personal with Peter, who do you say that I am? He says, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he says, "Flesh." Jesus says, flesh and blood hath not revealed this to you, Peter, upon this rock, or if you will, the revelation of me being uh, the, the Christ, the Son of the living God. Upon that revelation, I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it and the bible says he gave to peter the keys to the kingdom right he gave to peter the kings to the kingdom it's just neat to see that peter at the the different primary groups during his day being jews samaritans and gentiles that peter seemed to have a, a hand in the door of salvation of all of these different people groups during his day. He was there on the day of Pentecost and gave the response back to the Jews about what they needed to do to be saved. Amen. He's the guy with the keys to the kingdom. You know, he, he helped their understanding to open the door of salvation. Now, here he is at Samaria, a half Jew, a half Gentile, again, being very instrumental in helping these people's understanding their faith, if you will, for salvation. And we'll see him later in Acts chapter number 10 with Cornelius, those Gentiles, again, helping their understanding, opening the door, if you will, of salvation to them. So that's just interesting that the keys are given to him and he was at every juncture in the road of these three different people groups, amen, to be a part of that. I want to be a part of that. It's wonderful to be a part of someone's salvation process. Amen, we need to be. Amen. We all need to be. The Bible says in Acts 8 and verse number 17. Then laid they, this is Peter and John, then laid they their hands on them and they received the Holy Ghost. And when Simon saw that through laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power that on whomsoever I lay hands he may receive the Holy Ghost. But Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. I've always said this, but I'll share it again just because that's what we do. We learn by repetition. Something that we ask ourselves right here, the Bible says in verse 18, when Simon saw through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money. My question is, is how did Simon or anybody else for that matter know that these had received the Holy Ghost? How did he know? Simon saw Peter and John lay their hands on them, but how did he know that they had received the Holy Ghost if it's more than just believing that it happened? Hmm? I'm convinced that he knew they'd received the Holy Ghost the same way that others knew when other people received the Holy Ghost through the book of Acts, and that is by speaking in other tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance. Something signaled to Simon, hey, these people just received the Holy Ghost. These people that had believed and was baptized that had not received the Holy Ghost now have the Holy Ghost. How do you know this, Simon? Amen. Evidently, there was something that took place and I am convinced, very firmly, amen, that they spoke in tongues just as every other individual did that received the baptism of the Holy Ghost then and now. Sometimes we just paint this as something that was then. I'm saying then and now. And the time in between. <laughs> the time in between. 
Amen. And so Simon, now look, this is important. Whenever Peter speaks back to Simon about him desiring to, to purchase, want this power, and also want to lay hands on people that they would receive the Holy Ghost and offering them money for this. There's, something, there's a few things I want you to realize tonight. Simon, whenever Peter spoke to him, Simon wasn't reproved for desiring the power. Look at the verses of Scripture. Simon wasn't reproved or rebuked, if you will, for desiring the power. Neither was he rebuked or reproved, whichever word you like, amen, he didn't get in trouble for wanting to be instrumental in others receiving the Holy Ghost. It's not, the hand slap didn't come because of that. Didn't come because he desired power. Didn't come because he was wanting to be instrumental in others receiving the Holy Ghost. Simon was reproved, he was rebuked over thinking that the Holy Ghost could be purchased with money. That's where the rub was. That's where the cross was. And if you look specifically how the Bible relays it, the Bible says in verse number 20, thou hast thought, Peter says, that the gift, everybody say gift, thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Here's the rub. And this is appropriate for this season, I guess, but a gift that is for you, all right? Getting very practical here. A gift that is for you and that belongs to you is a gift you don't purchase. Hmm? A gift that is for you and belongs to you is a gift that you don't purchase but someone else has purchased for you. So, Peter's getting out of crux of something here. Simon, you've been here with, with the ministry of Philip. You've been wowed by the miracles. You've believed, you've baptized. You've seen others believe and be baptized, and some even received the Holy Ghost. He's basically relaying to Simon, you've missed the importance of this experience. You've missed the importance of this experience if you think you can pay or are even able to pay any a greater price than has already been paid. For this gift. Is someone following what I'm saying here tonight? He's saying this is the gift of God. You, 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 you've missed it. If you think you could have a transaction to bring this. Or that you were capable of bringing this. You've missed it if you thought you could pay for this gift that's already been paid for. And for that matter, nobody else would be able to offer you what is offered you except one. You hear me? Not another apostle could bring this gift to you. Not another, not another man, if you will, of your caliber could bring this to you. This is one man, Christ Jesus, who paid the ultimate price to be able to bring this to you. How in the world can you even think that you would be able to purchase or pay? You hear me today? For the gift of God. Now, look. It goes even deeper than that, folks. Say, well, my goodness, being hard on a man that maybe has a little misunderstanding about the gift of God. No, it goes deeper than that. Simon had been a sorcerer in Samaria. Simon had been a sorcerer in Samaria. He has a sway with the people. He has influence in Samaria. And listen, think of how tragic it would have been if the people then began to think that the gift of God to them had to be purchased. 
Think of how that could just proliferate a whole city if they start to think, man, Simon's asking if he could purchase this gift. I wonder if I got to do that. Do you understand what I'm talking about tonight? Because we live in many, many areas today in such a world that believes this is something that if I do good enough, if I live good enough, and all these other things, God just wants you. Repentance, yes. Baptism, yes. But he wants you. Someone say amen. And so Peter, what he does in this moment, what does he do for Simon? He calls Simon back to a place of repentance. Simon, repent. Repent of this and this matter in your heart. And look what he basically tells him. If you'll do the repenting side, God will do the forgiving side. Hmm? Huh? That's what he promised. If you do the, look at it in verse number 22. He said, repent therefore of this thy wickedness and pray God if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. If you'll repent, God will forgive. And Peter tells Simon, he says, your money, look, when he's reprimanding him, he says, your money would perish with him because the gift of God can't be purchased because it's already been purchased by Christ Jesus. He said, your money would perish. Oh, that's hard words. Your money's going to perish with, note that, with you. In other words, not only will your money perish, but you will perish. (gasps) Yes, it will. Because Simon has just believed and been baptized. He hasn't received the gift of God. Because he's thinking he must purchase the gift of God. And he's saying, hey, if you're going at it at this angle, your money will perish and you will perish. You've got to get it together. Repent that the very thought of your heart can be forgiven. Let's get this straight. Forget about that. It's, all, it's a gift, Simon. It's a gift, Simon. You don't have to put out money. You're not even capable to do it if you had to. It is for you. Someone say amen. And so there's people across the world that join his ranks. Amen. Here's the thing. Simon came to a place later in the scripture in verse 24. The Simon then spoke back to Peter after all this. And he said, Peter, he said, pray to the Lord for me. He said, pray to the Lord for me that none of these things which he has spoken come upon me. Well, the only thing really that Peter spoke that would come upon him is that he would perish with his money. He said, pray that that doesn't come upon me. Here is a tragedy. Listen to Pastor tonight. Here is a tragedy. Some people are more concerned about avoiding judgment than they are submitting to God now. And it's backwards. If we'll concern ourselves with repentance, baptism in Jesus' name, the infilling of the Holy Ghost, huh? If, if, we'll, if we'll just give our lives over to God and let him start a work in our life and get us right, if you will, if we'll focus on that, we won't have to worry about judgment. We won't have to worry about judgment. Some people are just so tunnel-visioned on judgment when what they need to be tunnel-visioned on is relationship. Huh? Relationship. The people that don't live in fear about if the world's going to end tomorrow are those that have focused on relationship. Those that are in fear about if the world is going to happen tomorrow are those that are living life just trying to avoid judgment. Oh, glory. Amen. And so, so, so Philip, Philip went to the city of Samaria. He deals with Simon there, deals with this misconception concerning the gift of God. All right. But then he leaves Samaria. He goes to the city of Samaria, and now he is going to go, in verses 26 on, he is going to go to the desert. 
we got contrast here. City, now he's going to the desert. He leaves the city for the desert. He, lives, he leaves many people in the city for what materializes in the story for one man. But from the word go, Philip didn't know he was going out there for one person. Look at your Bibles. The only thing that Philip really knew was that he was going to a desert place, a location. Now, we spoke this last week about how what this tells us is that the, event, the evangelism of one is just as important as the evangelism of the many, of the masses. But when we talk about evangelism, some people like to list evangelism in like being the 10th spiritual gift. You know, it's a gift that you ask the Lord, not everybody gets it, some do and some don't. Well, that's not necessarily the case. Evangelism is not a gift that some have and some don't. Evangelism is a command for all of us to go into all the world. It's a command for all of us. The Bible says, and look at the, uh, how pervading, if you will, this evangelism is, amen, throughout Acts and even through Philip's life. In Genesis 10 and verse 32, the Bible says, these are the families of the sons of Noah. I know we're going all the way back to the beginning. Amen. These are the families of the sons of Noah, which were Ham, Shem, and Japheth. Amen. After their generations, in their nations, and by these, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, by these were the nations divided in the earth after the flood. In other words, you, you can trace all the different divisions of the world, the nations, nationalities of the world, back to the three sons of Noah after they dispersed after the flood. And so since that's the case, if you begin to read through the Genesis account, you will find that those of Ham, amen, were those that were settlers over into the African, Ethiopian, Canaanite portion, if you will, of the world. Those who were of Shem of Noah were those of the Hebrew, Assyrian, Elamite type people in those regions and areas of the world. Japheth were the more European or Gentile people of Persia and India and Russia portions of the world. I say all that to say this. So from the three sons of Noah were the population, if you will, of the divisions of the world. And we are to go into all the, all the world needed saved. It's interesting throughout the book of Acts then we start seeing people be saved from the different descendant lines of these three sons of Noah. The first being in Acts chapter number 8 when Philip goes out to the desert and meets an Ethiopian eunuch who is a descendant of Ham. All the way back to one of the sons of Noah. When you go to Acts 9 and you read of the conversion of Saul to Paul, who the Bible says was a Hebrew of the tribe of Benjamin, that's tracing his line all the way back to Shem. Whenever you get to Acts 10 and read of Cornelius, who was a Gentile, he was of the Italian band, a Roman soldier, if you will. That traces his line all the way back to Japheth. And so from Acts 9, 8, 9, and 10, we start then seeing the whole world, if you will, being the division of those three sons being reached out to through the word of the Lord and through the book of Acts. So when we talk about evangelism, everyone say, I'm an evangelist. Now, no one go buy a trailer or anything like that, but you are an evangelist, amen, of spreading the gospel. As a matter of fact, evangelism, the word evangelism comes from a word evangelisco. And it, it has a root word that it originally comes from that means soap sellers. Its root is soap sellers. And what they would do years ago, this archaic form of this word soap sellers, is that's exactly what they did. I know, it's kind of profound. They sold soap. 
But being in that age is almost like a out in the atmosphere community people gather around thing. They had to illustrate the product. And in order to do that, Brother Daniel, they would find somebody. People have all different trades of that day, a lot of manual labor, if you will. They would find someone that was grimy and dirty, whatever type of occupation they'd been involved in, and they would get the soap going, and they would seemingly, now they wouldn't necessarily strip the person down, but they would wash this person who was by all appearances dirty. And when they get done, of course, the difference with the clean. And then that was a testimony to everybody. Here is a life that has been changed. We're to be evangelists. Hallelujah. Soap sellers for Jesus. Bring them in as dirty as you want. Apply the product. Huh? Apply the product. And whenever it's finished, you're going to see something different than what you've seen before. We're to be evangelists. Soap sellers, if you will. And the power of Philip. We understand. We need to understand the power of one. The power of one. You never know who you are witnessing to or what God will eventually accomplish through that one life. Hmm? We see throughout Scripture the impact and the power of many times. It wasn't the masses, but it was just one. If I may just relay a few of them here tonight. In Acts 8 here, of course, it is this Ethiopian eunuch who was the treasurer of all that, 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 that queen Uh, Candace the queen had an anonymous person but that one impact no doubt affected that individual's country and life in Acts 9 it was one Pharisee named Saul that Ananias went to just one not the masses in Acts 9 also there was a conversion of a coat maker by the name of Dorcas just one in Acts 10 it was one Roman centurion named Cornelius that that whole chapter uh, 10 is merely devoted to just just that one man and he pulled in his household too that was impacted amen but namely him first and then his household in Acts 14 it was one anonymous crippled man in Acts 16 it was one seller of cloth named Lydia whose life was turned around in Acts 16 it was also an anonymous Philippian jailer that was impacted. Just one. Amen. In Acts 18, it was one of the rulers of the synagogue named Crispus that was impacted. In Acts 18 as well, it was one eloquent preacher named Apollos. Amen. That Aquila and Priscilla explained more perfectly the ways of God and his life was changed. Not a mass. They didn't have a big congregation, but they had one person. And so what that means for us, we don't have to have a Sunday school class. Don't have to have a small group. Don't have to have a pulpit, all you need is one. And proclaim from your pulpit there. Now that's easier said for some than done. But notice what, what Philip did, back to the Bible lesson. Philip followed the guidance of the Lord. I think I mentioned this last week, without hesitation. The angel of the Lord came to Philip, and I know this is kind of a narrative, and we're just kind of going along with it. But, but Philip was spoken to by the angel of the Lord that he should arise, in verse 26, arise and go. And in the very next verse, the Bible says that Philip arose and went without any hesitation. This is quite a contrast to Jonah in the book of Jonah, who was told to arise and go to Nineveh. And the Bible says, and he arose and went down 
to Joppa to get the first ticket he can to go to uh, uh, Tarshish. Amen. But here is Philip. He is being obedient without hesitation to the angel of the Lord. Now, again, here's what you got to understand. Please understand this. Philip was not given a detailed account about what was going to happen in the desert. He just knew that he was going to go to the desert. He didn't know he was going to meet a man in the desert. That was not shared with him. Look at Acts 8. It was not shared with him. All that Philip was given was a location that he knew was a desert place. And with that in our minds tonight, let me say this, just to tongue and groove with that, and that is this. God will set up divine intersections for us in what may seem like some of the most unlikely places. A desert of all places. Some estimate that this eunuch could have traveled over a thousand miles from where his home was to Jerusalem to get there, to worship there, and here, think about the likelihood. And here in the desert then, Philip comes in contact with him, a eunuch, a man of great authority, an Ethiopian, and according to the word of God, from what we can read, this eunuch was hungry for God. This eunuch was hungry for God for all means. Anybody that's going to travel to church a thousand miles, <laughs> well, God help me and deliver me right now. Okay. Amen. Anybody that's going to travel to church a thousand miles, amen, go be hungry for God. Uh, hallelujah. He had already been to Jerusalem to worship. And as Philip approaches him, he's reading his Bible. Now, let's just set the stage here, folks. A couple of reasons why this guy's hungry for God. He traveled the distance. He's worshiped at the house of God, and he reads his Bible. I'm telling you right now, I put any of those three things on anybody, and I'll tell you, that's somebody hungry for God. Now, you could say that the opposite of that might indicate otherwise. <laughs> Can we do another little side note here? Let me tell you, the church doesn't have to worry about finances because God set up a meeting between this man, this eunuch, and the man of God, Philip, a hungry soul in a desert. And notice, it's this man that had charge of all the treasury of Candace the queen. Do you understand that? This guy has control of all the treasury of Candace the queen. And God sends a man to a desert to have a divine intersection with him because he's hungry for God. Do you realize what he could do being in charge of the treasury of a queen? We don't have to worry about finances. God can set up a divine appointment anytime. It, listen, it, it's a misconception to think, well, it's just always, it's always the poor and those that are need. No, no. God set up divine encounters with lawyers and doctors. And... Amen. Just give me a nod and I'll accept the nod. Amen. And God's in all of this. God, through an angel, spoke to Philip to go to the desert. God orchestrated their paths to cross. God then prompted Philip to inquire from the eunuch about what he was reading and everything. And the Bible says the eunuch was reading in Isaiah. And Philip asked him, 
if he understood what he was reading. And the man said, this is the word, and this is where my title comes from. The man said, how can I accept some man should guide me? That just, just kind of really burdened my heart today. To think a man had such a hunger for the word and for God and interest in God. And what he really needed was understanding. But the understanding was always in front of him as a finish line to approach. Because what he needed was a man to guide him. Hmm. Hmm. And so I'm asking myself is how many people are in within my reach that are truly hungry for God. And they're even reading the scriptures. And they're just needing some guidance. They need a person. Is this resonating with anybody right now? They need a person. They need an individual in their life that could help guide them into this wonderful truth. His thing was, how can I accept some man? How many how can I's are there out there that's saying if I don't have someone to help me? Because what begins, what ensues right after this is a wonderful example of a home Bible study. They might not have been in Ethiopia, but they had a home Bible study in a chariot. Amen. They have discipleship in the bag, home stu Bible study in the bag. This was home Bible study in a chariot. Hallelujah. Because Philip climbed up in that chariot with him. And what I want you to notice here, the eunuch, look in verse number 34. The eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee of whom, he's talking about the scripture he's read, of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or of some other man. Look at this. From what the eunuch had read, you know what he had come to a conclusion at? He says, I want to know the who first before you tell me about the what. Before you tell me what's going on, I want to know who this is about. Sometimes we approach Bible study with people backwards. We want to tell them about the what before we tell them about the who. Huh? This step, that step, this step, this step. Do this, do that. Don't do that. Deep, 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 do. But we need to tell them about the who. And here's the awesome thing about God's word. You can start anywhere in God's word. Genesis, Revelation, or any of the chapters or, or, or books in between. And the who remains the same. It can be a story about David and Goliath, but the ultimate who remains the same. It can be a story about creation, but the who remains the same. It can be about Babylonian captivity, but the overarching who remains the same. And the who of the story is Jesus Christ. He told his disciples in John 5, 39, he said, Search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life. He says, They are they which testify of me. He told his own disciples, you look all over the scriptures and every scripture you look at and read, the essence of it, the overarching general idea of it, it's all talking about me. And the eunuch's here reading the word in Isaiah about in his humiliation. He's saying, 
Who is this talking about? And the Bible tells us that Philip opened his mouth and at the very same scripture preached unto this man, Jesus. Before he began to explain about what all this humiliation stuff was and a a lamb dumb taken to the slaughter, about what all that was, he said, let me tell you about the who, because that's what he's interested in, the who. We need a world that needs an introduction to the who. An introduction to the who. I know they're, they're amazed. They would love to come and go through the 34 uh, lesson revelation series. I understand that. But even that was a revelation. The Bible says, John said, this is a revelation of Jesus Christ. He was trying to get at the who. So he preached Jesus. Now, whether the next verses, and the next verses tell us about the baptism of the eunuch, but whether those next verses are the result from the eunuch's own reading of the Bible or from Philip's message about Jesus or perhaps a little bit of both, I don't know absolutely for sure. I don't know. I don't have enough information here to tell me absolutely for sure, but I would like to think tonight that it was due to Philip preaching Jesus to this man that he understood then that I need baptized. I need water baptism because, and here's the reason why I say that, because if Philip's message was like any of the other messages that we have already read of in the book of Acts, if his preaching and sermon was anything similar to any of the sermons that Peter has preached in the book of Acts up to this time, we know something is going to happen that if it's going to be a message like that, then they're going to talk about Jesus's death, right? We've seen this, his burial, his resurrection, and with that, they're going to start them paralleling how his death is similar to our repentance. Jesus' baptism, is, or his burial was similar to our baptism, and that his resurrection is similar to our newness of life of receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost. If it's anything like those that Peter had preached, and Philip happened to preach the same message, amen, which they were, but if he organized it or constructed the same, then I am convinced then that this eunuch may have understood baptism because Philip had taught and preached Jesus to him. And let me tell you something. If you've never experienced And listen, what I'm about ready to ask, I'm not doing this for embarrassment. I'm not doing this for embarrassment for anybody. I just want you to think, how many people has ever taught a home Bible study in this place? If you have, please raise your hand. Have you ever taught a home Bible study to somebody? I just, I'm, I'm, I'm not doing this for embarrassment. I'm not doing this for any other reason. I'm just telling you this. There is nothing more rewarding in your Christian walk with the Lord then while you're teaching a home Bible study for the student to see for the first time their need for repentance or their need for water baptism or their need of the Holy Ghost while you're teaching. There is nothing any more precious than that. I've told my wife I could quit preaching and just teach home Bible studies for just what happens in those moments. And I can put down that probably maybe only on one hand uh, out of the times that we've taught home Bible studies, that somebody didn't get in the water as a result of a home Bible study. Maybe on one hand when it never happened. Usually, it always usually takes place and happens. Someone repents and is baptized in Jesus' name. And it, there is nothing, I'm telling you right now, there is nothing more rewarding. And so you, here's this eunuch, they're going along in the chariot. He recognizes a literal body of water and his need for baptism. 
to be baptized. Here's water. What doth hinder me? And the Bible says, Philip, and he went down into the water and came up out of the water. And we, 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 we many times use that along with other verses for the support of immersion that they could have sprinkled from the shore if they needed to, but they both got into the water, amen, with great purpose. And the Bible here is just something interesting to me. The Bible says Philip was caught away. They had this happening. The, the, the eunuch goes away rejoicing. Philip is caught away. It's not that he walks away. He was caught away. Caught away by God. He's caught away and he's stationed in another city by the Spirit of the Lord. And the Bible says he continued to preach whenever he, he arrived. Until he arrived at, at Caesarea, he continued to preach. And so Philip did not stop preaching and sharing the gospel. Here's something important. I, I guess this is an importance to me for this verse. Brother Mason is this. He went to the city of Samaria. Several converts took place there. Could absolutely pin that down a success. Went to the desert, not knowing why he's going to the desert, but knew the location, goes there, has a man, Bible study takes place, he preaches Jesus, the man gets baptized, walk away, could call that a success. And he could have, if he was influenced so much by his past success, hung his Bible study chart, if you will, up on the wall and said, well, we made good in Samaria. We made good with the eunuch. I think I'll just take it easy on my way to Caesarea. But he didn't. He continued to preach and share the gospel. And all other villages on his way to Caesarea. Because he wasn't just going to allow past success to be good enough for his future. Amen. Because some... And it's good sometimes to reflect on the past, but the past also can sometimes become a memorial that we worship to keep from ever surpassing it. He says, Mary was great. The desert, what happened there was great. But you know what? There could be somebody else that says, how can I accept some man? And they might be looking for a Philip to enter their life. Look at this. So Philip was transported. Man, this is before Star Trek. And all those other things that allude to transportation through means of your body being to particles and coming back together. Amazing. I mean, that is some feat, right? I'm not talking about feet. I'm talking F-E-A-T. That is some feat here. He was transported. I mean, that's a big deal. Right? But in the scheme of the context of chapter 8, the emphasis wasn't on the big deal of the transportation of him being caught away. The emphasis was on the power of a shared word to evangelize souls. Something that was just, I mean, what? He, was, he was here, he's not here, he's so many miles away now. That's not what was underscored. The underscored was the power of the shared word to evangelize lost souls. I'm, I'm hastening to a close. I know I've went over and I'm so sorry if anybody's sorry about that. This is an excerpt from an article in a recent Time magazine that I have received it's just an excerpt, and it reads like this. The person says, he says, people like me are on the rise. The nuns, and that's N-O-N-E-S, 
the nuns. Those who are not affiliated with any religion or are agnostic or just plain atheists are now almost a quarter of the population, says a recent study out of Duke University. There are 19 million more nuns now than there were in 2007. And at 56 million strong, there are more Americans who are unaffiliated than there are Catholics and mainline Protestants, according to a 2015 Pew Research report. Fewer than half of young adults ages 18 to 30 are sure God exists. If a few, in a few years, the largest religion in the United States will be the nun. I end with this passage of scripture, and again, except some man. Romans 10, 13, for whosoever shall call, and you can stand with me, upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him and whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent as it is written how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things whosoever shall call on the name of the lord shall be saved but the salvation deeply depends upon them being able to call on someone they've not believed in, but how can they believe on somebody they've not heard of? How can they hear without a preacher? How can they preach except they be sent? You all are evangelists. You all are, in certain regards, preachers or sharers of the gospel. And so here's the message of Romans 10. The salvation of who? So ever is largely helped by those that have the capability of taking the message and getting it to them. Whosoever the constant question is, how can, how can? That resonates seemingly with the eunuch. How can I accept some man? You want them to believe, but do they even know what to believe in? Want them to hear. Somebody will get to them. They'll get it through some venue. We got so many airwaves and television things and radios that it can get. But what if it's a desert place? God needs a man. God needs a woman. That would be willing to be a vessel. A vessel. A soap seller, if you will. For his kingdom. 
That's what each and every one of us need to become. Again, Philip is not numbered among the great 12 apostles or disciples. He was just a common believer doing his work for the Lord. But you know, he didn't underestimate his place in the kingdom. He knew what it took to receive the Holy Ghost. He knew what it took to get saved because he had experienced that in his own life. And all he did, I've oftentimes said it, you know, preachers and ministers, whoever we are, evangelists, people, God's saints, we are just one beggar telling another beggar where he can find bread. Just one beggar telling another beggar where he can find bread. And folks, we got the bread tonight. We got the bread tonight. Can we bow our heads all over this place? Father, I'm calling. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.